0: I need to mention one other thing that's upcoming. Uh, For those of you who are parents, on November the 13th, parents of kids that are involved in River Kids. River Kids is anywhere from birth up through fifth grade. Uh, They are ministered to uh, graciously and and with amazing skill from many of our uh, volunteers and leaders under the direction of DeShel Jordan. And on November the 13th, after this service, so it's at 1 o'clock, just after this service, they have what they're calling a parent engagement event. It is literally a huddle, just kind of getting together, meeting some of the teachers that are facing with your kids. I don't know about you, but as a parent, I, I wouldn't just go to a church and just, you know, throw my kids... Uh, into a classroom. I'd want to know the people that are talking to them and ministering to them and teaching them. So this is an opportunity that you want to take advantage of. Again, one o'clock on November the 13th, and you'll also uh, find out all the valuable family resources we also have to give you and to help you uh, in your responsibility to parent your kids. Amen. Um, I also want to make one appeal, if I may today, and I'll just take a moment to do this and we'll get right into the message. Um, this is a praying church. And I say that not just, you know, metaphorically or like, of course, we pray, but we're serious about the fact that prayer works. And so serious about it, that means we treat prayer needs very seriously. So when people note on the Connect card or through texting in church uh, a request for prayer, we take it very seriously and we pray over it. Uh, For several years, I've had a heart to do something that's a a little bit more organized and focused as far as developing an army of intercessors. Uh, An intercessor is, uh, we can all intercede. Now, some people have the gift of being an intercessor, but we can all intercede, meaning we stand in the gap for a need and we pray. So the Lord has recently pulled this together. Uh, Thank God uh, it's answered a prayer uh, Two volunteers. Uh, some of you know Barnabas and Marita, and they are the kind of the organizers, coordinators for this intercessory uh, prayer team. And basically, the purpose of it is we 're looking for people who say, "I will pray in other words i 'm not playing games. I will pray. You give me a prayer assignment for a, a need that has come into the church or you 're aware of some community situation, something that warrants our team approach to prayer and intercession. I'll do that. You you know you send me a text. I will get on it and I will pray. And uh, so they will serve as a clearinghouse. We're, de- we're developing the systems and the processes for this, so that uh, if a prayer request comes in, whether it's verbal, maybe from a pastoral team or from someone in the church, we know that there's a prayer need. We immediately will send that right through the coordinators, and they will disseminate. I'm looking for 30 to 40 people who are serious people about prayer and said, I will do that pastor, I will do that, you can count on me and then you'll receive some communication. So here's how you can let us know. You can text the word, the simplest would simply be to text the word prayer to our text number, which is 757 8070 And when you get the link back that comes to you, if you text prayer, you'll get a link back and usually people are writing in prayer requests. If you're willing to be a part of that prayer team, simply put on their prayer team. Or you can take one of these connect cards and you can write on down the bottom one has prayer requests, just put prayer team, drop it in the black boxes on the back wall, and we'll know that you're saying, I'm willing to serve on the prayer team. Again, I'm looking for 30, 40 soldiers who are willing to take this up, and I think, This is what I believe. I mean, we've seen some amazing miracles, signs, and wonders that have resulted from a lot of focused uh, prayers of faith. I believe we're going to double and triple the results and the fruit and miracles and answered prayer by having a real organized, focused effort. So if you're willing to do that, respond and don't forget about it so that uh, we can take that. We'll, we'll get back in touch with you very soon again through either the text in church or you may uh, fill out a connect card and simply uh, put as in the spot that you would put a prayer request. Simply say prayer team and we'll be back in touch with you. All right. Don't you think that's possible? How many of you believe prayer works? About half of you. All right, good. In that case, we should pray now. (laughs) Uh, Brent, do you mind giving Steve the microphone and let him, uh, since this is streamed, we're going to let him pray uh, that we will receive the message the Lord has for us this morning and the Lord's anointing will be here to teach us. Steve? Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that we get to gather this morning. Lord, we ask for your blessing over our time together that our hearts would be open, Lord, to continue even what we learned earlier this week on, Lord, seeing ourselves the way that you see us in through your eyes, the way that you love us, and that we begin to see each other the way that you also see them. And so, Lord, we just ask for your blessing over Pastor Bobby this morning that this word would infiltrate our hearts and make change within us because we love you so much. Amen, Jesus. Amen. amen. Thank you, Steve. And the church said, Amen. I'm excited this morning to continue our series on the book of Judges uh, the flawed and the faithful. We've been looking at highlighting different of the deliverers, the judges of Israel that spanned about 350 to 400 years. And we've learned already a lot. We've chosen, highlighted different ones of these uh, judges. We don't have enough weeks to deal with every single one of them. We've already looked at Othniel. We've already looked at Abimelech. We've looked at Samson. We've looked at Gideon. And we've noticed the uniqueness of each of them. There's lessons to be learned from all of them for us today. So I'm excited that today we can continue that. And uh, today we're tackling the deliverer named Jephthah. You want to... Say it with me, Jephthah, you can't say it, just call him Jeff, all right? That's fine, that's close enough. So we're talking about Jephthah. The title of my message today is, Jephthah, an unlikely hero, and he truly is unlikely. Some of the others we've looked at, they're also unlikely, but I think you'll find that uh, there's a number of things both to admire and some things to go oh no, about his life. Whenever I was a young follower of Jesus, I was taught how to study the Bible in a number of different ways, but one of the simplest methods that I was taught as a young teenager was when you read the Bible, look for the following things. Number one, a promise to claim, and I color-coded these. You know, promise to claim, a commandment to obey, that's important, right? So a command to obey, an example to follow, and an example not to follow. Now, I always thought that was kind of interesting. I'm like, what? I'm reading the Bible, and there's examples not to follow. But it didn't take long to learn the Bible is not shy about telling us people's weaknesses. Yeah. Aren't you glad that God, through the Holy Spirit, chose and allows us to see All sides of what's going on in people's lives, the good, the bad, the ugly. And God is transparent in the sense that He's showing us exactly what the reality is in some of these people. And many of them have been leaders. And how many of you know leaders are not perfect? Well, I hope you, I need a better response than that. Leaders are not perfect, right? They're fallible. God is perfect. But his leaders are not always perfect and make mistakes. But we can learn from the errors. We can learn from their fallibility. And uh, we can apply it to our own lives. So that's what we're going to see today with Jephthah is we're going to see that he uh, did some things that are really good examples for us to follow. And he did some things that you don't want to follow those examples at all. So we'll learn them together. So here's what I'm going to do. Let me just describe to you in a big picture way uh, where this is located, the story of Jephthah and the related uh, information is in Judges chapter 10 11 and 12 all right, so that's three chapters and there's absolutely no way I can cover that entire narrative with you this morning So what I've chosen to do is just to be a little bit selective as far as the information But I do want you to understand the bigger picture and so I'm going to give you a little bit uh, from from chapter 10 and more from chapter 11 chapter 10 gives us the background and the, the context for Jephthah being raised up by the Lord. All right, so that's the background chapter. Chapter 11 is where we're introduced to Jephthah very closely, and we see all the narrative going back and forth, and I'll summarize the story for you in just a moment. And then in, the, in Judges chapter 12, really tells us about the rest of his rule and reign as a deliverer in Israel. All right? So in our study of the book of Judges, we learned a number of things. But one of the things I haven't called your attention yet, but I want to today, is that in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, chapter 11... Uh, The writer of Hebrews talks about faith, right? Many times we refer to Hebrews 11 as what? The chapter of faith. It's a chapter about faith. And we see a list of lots of names. There's lots of examples given. And Noah built the ark by faith. And Moses delivered the children of God. On and on and on and on. And it's interesting to me that judges are included in Hebrews chapter 11. And they're actually listed primarily in one verse. And uh, we've already looked at some of these. And by the way, next week, uh, ladies, I know some of you have been concerned, next week is the last of the series, and it's Deborah's time next week. All right, so just, yeah, just get, so y'all are excited about that. So here we go. So in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32, it's talking about these different heroes of faith, and it says this, the writer of Hebrews says, And what more shall I say? I don't have time to tell you about everybody and everything that they did. So he just makes a list. He says, I don't have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah. All four of those were judges and deliverers for Israel. And then he goes on to say, and about David and Samuel and the prophets. So whenever I see that list, it causes me to pause because there are moments in the life of, actually it's true in in the case of Samson and Gideon and Barak, where sometimes you go, really? How did they make the cut? How did they make that list? And it is also true, particularly with Jephthah, that uh, you have to struggle a little bit sometimes in the life of Jephthah to say that is where he demonstrated incredible faith. There it is right there. So there's much for us to grasp and learn about the life of Jephthah, although we really have only three chapters dedicated to him. So I want to just remind you a little bit of the big story, and then I'm just going to summarize the the whole narrative, and then we'll go back and and break it down with some more detail. But what's been going on so far as we've looked at the book of Judges is we find that God wants to rule His people. This is a season in which they have no king, God wants to be their ruler, but uh, the scripture tells us that everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes. Everybody was developing their own standards, their own ethics, their own morality, their own uh, lifestyle based upon what they thought they wanted to do rather than what God, uh, Jehovah was telling them to do. And so frequently we find the statement made throughout the book of Judges, uh, and they did evil in the sight of the Lord and we have also explained a cycle that takes place repeatedly throughout the book of judges we call it the cycle of sin or it's the cycle of the book of judges and once again we're going to see this cycle in the story today so basically what happens is the, the, the story is is usually started by God's people mixing with foreign nations, and they actually start compromising, and they fall into sin, they fall into idolatry. So some of them are worshiping God on one hand, then they're worshiping the idols on the other. And there's this mix going on as a result of them their persistent uh, disobedience to the Lord. The Lord's not happy. He's not happy about it all. And so then as a result of God being angry with them, he pulls back the curtain and allows oppression to take place and actually uses the the nations surrounding the countries that are surrounding Israel at the time, uh, the Philistines and the Moabites, the Ammonites and all the Ites, and he uses them to basically put pressure on the people of God that hopefully they'll wake up, come to their senses, and get right with God. Do you know that sometimes God will actually do that in people's lives today as well? He'll simply, depending upon your level of rebellion, your level of disobedience to the Lord, the Lord will simply, uh, the Lord's not causing it, but the Lord simply will step back and allow things to happen. And many of us are wondering, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people sometimes? And that's part of the reason. So in the case of judges uh, he allows the oppression to come sometimes it lasts for a short period of time a couple of years and sometimes it's for 18 20 years 30 years 40 years the oppression is heavy and the people just you know refuse to repent and then at some point they begin to cry out they begin to call out to god for help they're calling out to god for deliverance and for rescue and um, so sometimes it's filled with repentance but sometimes it's not sometimes it's just wanting help you know sometimes we're not repentant we just want to get out of the mess yeah. you, you know what I'm talking about so sometimes it is repentant and sometimes it isn't we'll look at the story here in just a moment they cry out for repent out for God's help and because God is a God of love and long-suffering and mercy and grace he brings relief and deliverance through a leader And he raises up a judge, or the word means deliverer. And so that's where all these different people play a part. So he raises up Samson, raises up Gideon, raises up Deborah to be leaders to bring renewal, bring uh, usually release and relief from the oppression, but then we will bring them into a place of walk with God, renewed walk with God, and there's shalom and there's peace in the country. And then guess what? That leader dies. Next thing you know... The people begin to slowly drift back into compromise, and the cycle begins all over again. So that's what we have seen throughout the book of Judges, and we will see it again in the story today. All right, so before we get to the breakdown, the kind of the details of the story, I want to give you a summary narrative. All right, so I'm just going to tell you the story in the best way that I can. I'm going to give you the, the, the main part of the story that we're looking at today. And I'll read a few scriptures, but again, they're just select verses from these chapters. So I'll, I'll start with Judges chapter 10 in verses uh, 6 and following. Again, verse 6, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. That tells you a whole lot right there, right? Everybody say again. (laughs) Again. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They served the Baals and the Ashtoreths and the gods of Aram and the gods of Sidon and the gods of Moab and the gods of the Ammonites and the gods of the Philistines. So they were serving all these idols. And because the Israelites forsook the Lord and no longer served him, he became angry with them. He sold them into the hands of the Philistines and the Ammonites, who that year shattered and crushed them. That's heavy oppression, isn't it? It crushed them. For 18 years they oppressed the Israelites on the east side of the Jordan in Gilead, the land of the Amorites. And then verse 10. Now now watch. We're going to see Israel cry out for help. Watch this. Verse 10, then, so you got 18 years of this going on, right? Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord, We've sinned against you, forsaking our God and serving the Baals. And the Lord replied, When the Egyptians, the Amorites, the Ammonites, and the Philistines, the Sidonians, and the Amalekites, and the Maonites oppressed you, and you cried to me for help, did I not save you from their hands? But you you have forsaken me, and you have served other gods. Watch this. So I'm not doing it again. So I will no longer save you. Go and cry out to those gods that you have chosen. Let them save you when you're in trouble. That's pretty straight, isn't it? Now, this is just fascinating to me. Watch verse 15. But the Israelites, this is how they replied to that. But they said to the Lord, we have sinned. So back there in verse 10, it simply said, they, they write, they, they cried out to the Lord and said, we've sinned against you. But now there's like, this is something deeper. Now, I think this now has a more spirit of real repentance in it, more brokenness. But the Israelites said to the Lord, we have sinned. Do with us whatever you think best, but please, please rescue us now. And then verse 16, I like this, then they got rid of the foreign gods. They got rid of the foreign gods among them, and they served the Lord. So what's happening? So they cry out for help, says they realize that they had sinned. then the Lord said, "That's it, I, I'm done." I've reached the end. Uh, I've just reached the end of my patience, my long-suffering nature, and so no more. You go get help from those idols, and then they once again said, "We have sinned." I think this is a deeper, much deeper level of of brokenness and repentance, and 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 they said, "But Lord, do whatever you see fit." You know what they're basically saying is, "We deserve it, but we really do need." deliverance, and we know that you can give it. And then I like the fact that they put action to their prayers. A lot of people say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And then there's no change. There's no lifestyle change. Repentance is the change of attitude, change of direction. But there's something that the scripture calls the fruit of repentance. The fruit of repentance is when there's actual lifestyle changes, there's actual results that are the result of a change of mind, a change of direction. And they began to put away the foreign gods and began to serve Jehovah again. Now watch this, the last phrase of verse 16. And he could bear Israel's misery no longer. This reveals to us such the tenderness of God's grace and his long suffering. So here he's the one that said you know, I'm, I'm done. You just go ahead and seek the other gods for help. And they once again, uh, asked for, asked for deliverance. And then they started serving God. They got rid of the foreign gods. And then it's that the Lord just said, I can't stand this. I can't handle watching my people, my chosen people. I can't stand watching the the misery. How many of you know you sin? There's a, we've talked about it before, there's a high price for sinful living. There's a price to pay for choosing to live in disobedience against the Lord. There's a price. And, And thank God that there's forgiveness, amen, in Christ. But how many of you know that sometimes, even with forgiveness, sometimes we've done enough to sow. this that we actually begin to reap some consequences but God was saying I can't I just the misery that you're in moves my heart so he relents and then he raises up the next deliverer the next deliverer was named Jephthah so we begin to learn about Jephthah in chapter 11 and we learned that uh, he was born, his background is really important. He was born to a prostitute. Okay? So he's the son of a prostitute, but the father took him in, took in his own son, even though born to a prostitute. Took in the boy and then married a woman and they had other children. And the other half brothers hated Jephthah. Disliked him and finally kicked him out of the house. The father, named Gilead, was somewhat irresponsible for allowing this to happen, but the brothers basically said, we're we're not sharing our inheritance. Sorry, we're just not going to share our inheritance. Get out of here. Jephthah was not only uh, rejected, but he was quite a rebel. And uh, he obviously had this real rebellious, tough, angry streak. And so he moved. He had to move to a place called Tab. Now, if you ever have to move to a place called Tab, that's rough. That's rough. So he moved right up against the Syrian border, a place called Tab, and immediately began to attract a bunch of gang members. Wow. Crazy guys who are just looking for a battle, looking for a fight. I mean, you know, some people, they're just looking for trouble, right? I mean, that's just the way they are. So he began to actually attract. So he had all these other rebels who gathered around him, and they kind of formed a gang, and they were willing to take on anybody, willing to fight anybody, and they became quite good. So his reputation as a fighter began to spread through the land. The Ammonites began to increase their attacks against Gilead and the rest of the country. And so the elders of Gilead came together and they said, we have got to do something to stop this oppression coming from the Ammonites. I mean, we've got to put up some defenses against the, uh, from the east. And someone said, well, I've heard about this guy named Jephthah. Everybody said, oh, yeah, we've heard about him. He's a mean dude. He's got a whole gang of people up there in uh, Tob, up along the border. And they said, let's go see if we can get him to help us. So they went after Jephthah. They recruited him to be their leader, to lead the military fight against the Ammonites. So he, you'll find this about Jephthah. He's quite the deal maker. Okay? So he's always trying to negotiate and bargain. So he starts trying to negotiate if he's willing to do this, what I'm going to get out of this. And they finally came to an arrangement that if you do this and you defeat the Ammonites, we're going to exalt you as our our new deliverer for everybody. So he agreed to do this. And then uh, it's interesting because the scripture tells us, we'll see it again in a moment, that the Spirit of the Lord came on Jephthah. So he's now agreed to fight the Ammonites, right? It says the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him. And then he goes to the Ammonite leaders and he starts having conversations with them uh, trying to negotiate a settlement to where they didn't have to fight. Well, they wouldn't agree to it. And so he then, I I think, his confidence got shaken a little bit. And as a result of the shaken confidence, he decided, I need to make a vow to God. I I need... to make sure I've got God's help. Well, that's a little strange to me because they said the Spirit of the Lord's already come upon him. Look, when the Spirit of the Lord comes on you, you know it. The Spirit of the Lord already come on him to do what was necessary to win. And he's a little shaky now. And so he begins to make a vow with God. The agree- a vow is an agreement. It's a promise. There's nowhere in the Bible that it says to make vows. There's never, ever any scripture that says, you know, if you want this, 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 then make a vow to God. But he did. And he makes this vow that's very strange. And the vow was this. Lord, if you give me victory over the Ammonites. He said, when I go home in victory, go back to my home, my house. Whoever walks first out of the house, I will consider a sacrifice. I will sacrifice them to you. How many of you think we got problems coming? He makes this vow to God and then he fights, right? And he does an amazing job. They conquer the Ammonites, wipe out, devastate 20 villages. And as a result, guess what he's doing now? Now he's going to go home. So he begins to make his way back home. He had one... Daughter, single, young. And when he comes up back home, I think he's probably forgotten about the vow. He's not in touch with it at the moment because he made this vow foolishly. When he walks up, who walks out of the door first? The daughter. He never thought that his daughter would be the first one out of the door. He I mean, surely would be a servant or an animal or someone, not his daughter. She comes out, she doesn't just come out, she's heard about the victory by now. She comes out dancing with the tambourine in her hand. She comes out, immediately it hits him. Oh no! I cannot believe. I made this vow. And he tells her of the vow. She immediately says, Dad, if you made a vow to God, you got to keep it. And the result, I'll just say it this way for now, was a dilemma that Jephthah found himself in. A difficult dilemma of what to do to keep his vow. But what do I do with my daughter? So, that is the summary of the story. And I know you're asking questions, and I have been as well. So what I want to do now is go back over what we learned in chapter, uh, chapter 11. And I want to look at Jephthah through a, a more scrutinizing set of lenses. All right, So we're going to look at him through four lenses. All right, Number one, first of all, Jephthah as an outcast is the first lens. Jephthah as an outcast. As I already explained to you, he was the, the, a child born out of an immoral, adulterous relationship between his dad, Gilead, and a prostitute, right? All right, so let me read to you from chapter 11, verse 1 through 3. Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty warrior. His father was Gilead. His mother was a prostitute. Gilead's wife also bore him sons, and when they were grown up, they drove Jephthah away. You're not going to get any inheritance in our family, they said, because you're the son of another woman. Today, the language would be a little harsher than that. But simply says here, they said, because you are the son of another woman. So Jephthah fled from his brothers... And he settled in the land of Tob, where a gang of scoundrels gathered around him and followed him. He became their leader. Well, I want you to stop for a moment and think about what's happening here. His mother was who? A whore, a prostitute. And yet the father, kudos to him, he adopts his son to be his own. But he lives with the shame of his past. My mother, that will never go away from Jephthah's mind. My mother was a prostitute. I'm the result of sin. I'm the result of disobedience to God. He wore that like it was a scarlet letter. He knew he was an outcast from the moment that he was aware of anything. And then next thing you know, his father marries a woman. They start having children and he never got along with his brothers. They were always fighting, always had conflict. They always treated him as an outcast and a reject. He was rejected socially. He was rejected relationally within his own family. He lived with this idea of, I am, I am, I've got a mark against me in life. I have a disadvantage. I've been marginalized. No one understands my pain. No one understands what I'm going through. He was an outcast. How many of you know that many people still to this day in their own lives, live with some kind of a stain from their past, a shame or or something, regret, or something that they continue to walk and live, and it affects their thinking, it affects their behavior, it affects much about them. That is what Jephthah went through. Your heart has to go out to Jephthah for this reason. So they, as we saw in the story, the boys, family of sons, decided they were not going to share the inheritance with him, and so they cast him out and sent him away. What's interesting about Jephthah being raised up as a deliverer, and you notice right there in verse 1 it starts off by saying he was a mighty warrior, and then we find out about his dark past, right? It's interesting to me that God chose Jephthah. Surely. Surely. God could have found a holier instrument. Surely God could have found someone whose mother wasn't a whore. Surely someone without the shame, without a stained history, God could have found to deliver the people of Israel. But God's all-wise. And he chose Jephthah. And he's listed among the heroes of faith, In Hebrews chapter 11. I think many of us today can relate to Jephthah for one reason or the other. Not just in his past, but even his current activity. The moment he goes to Tob, he begins to attract the undesirables. How many of you have had a child that has attracted the undesirables? How many of you have attracted scoundrels around you because of your lifestyle choices? And yet God chose Jephthah to deliver Gilead and Israel. So that's the first set of lenses, Jephthah as an outcast. Number two. Let's look at Jephthah as a military warrior. We already read about it a little bit, but this is an amazing thing. It says in chapter 11, in the first verses I already read to you, Jephthah the Gilead was a mighty warrior. Not just a warrior, a mighty warrior. And skip down to verse 4. Sometime later the Ammonites were fighting against Israel. The elders of Gilead went out to Jephthah from the land of Tob, and they said, come. Be our commander so we can fight the Ammonites. Why did they pick him? His reputation. A rough reputation. Mean, tough, rebellious, but a good warrior. So the elders recruited him to lead them against the Ammonites. And he did. The Scripture tells us in verse 32 that he was victorious. And there's By the way, all this negotiating and bargaining and stuff going on in between these verses. But in verse 32, it says, Then Jephthah went over to fight the Ammonites. Remember what had happened in verse 29? The Spirit of the Lord had come upon him. Then Jephthah went over to fight the Ammonites, and the Lord gave them into his hands. Where did the victory come from? Not just his skill. Not the other scoundrels. The Lord gave him the victory. And he devastated 20 towns. He subdued Ammon and won the victory that day. Let's take just a moment to reflect on that part of the story in verse 29, where it says, Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. This tells us that the Holy Spirit is the source of victory, amen? This tells us that if you're called by God, that where God appoints, He also anoints. That when God calls you to do something, God calls you to to be available and He assigns something to you, that the Spirit of God will give you whatever you need, the resources you need to accomplish that mission. And that was true with Jephthah. I think it's important for you also to know a little bit theologically about how the Spirit of God works. It's important to know the contrast between the Old Testament and the New. In the Old Testament, we see the Holy Spirit active from the point of creation. So the Holy Spirit is very active in the Old Testament, but just in a different way than in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit typically would come upon someone, would rest upon an individual selectively, And typically for a short period of time, for a specific mission. So if it's God, you know, God wants to use Gideon to to do this particular thing, The anointing comes on Gideon from the Holy Spirit comes upon him. He accomplishes it and then it lives. So there's not a permanence to it. It's very much mission specific. And the Spirit of God, notice that you hardly ever see anything in the Old Testament where the Spirit of God comes and resides in someone. In the New Testament, however, there's a shift. Once Jesus has come, he said, and I, you know the Holy Spirit because he's telling his disciples, because he's been with you all this time. He said, when I go to my Father, I'm going to send to you another comforter. He's going to be with you. You're going to know him, and he's going to be in you. And sure enough, the availability of the Holy Spirit is for every person who makes a commitment to Jesus Christ. As we're regenerated and born again, the Holy Spirit comes Representing God, the father, the son through his spirit, he comes and he takes up residence on the inside of us and he abides with us. He'll never leave you or forsake you. Isn't it comforting? No, that same spirit that came upon Gideon, Samson and Jephthah, that same Holy Spirit lives in you, lives in me. In addition to that, we have the The availability of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit as well and through the fullness of the Holy Spirit the Spirit just like in the Old Testament comes upon us in a powerful way, but is there to enable us to empower us to do to be witnesses for him to do signs and wonders to live for him. But the difference is it's more permanent in the Old Testament very temporary New Testament stays with us. I don't know about you. But I'm encouraged to do more for God when I know that the Spirit of God is in me and on me. How about you? Amen? So in this text, we see the Holy Spirit was his source. It was the Holy Spirit that enabled him to win the victory. He's a military warrior. Regardless of your upbringing, regardless of your stained past, regardless of your own shame or place in life, God will still use you because the Holy Spirit doesn't discriminate. I said the Holy Spirit doesn't discriminate. Let's look at the third set of lenses. All right. Lens number three, Jephthah as a careless leader. See if I can explain what I mean by this. My interpretation of this text is that he was careless. He was careless in his words let's read verse 30. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord saying, if you will give the Ammonites into my hands, then whatever comes out of the door of my house to meet me when I return in triumph from the Ammonites will be the Lord's. It will be dedicated to you. And I will bring, I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. That was his vow. I believe this teaches us what a careless leader looks like. I I, I believe Jephthah didn't have much knowledge of the importance of Moses' laws and certain things that were expected. I think Jephthah had just enough knowledge to get himself in trouble. And he did. Jephthah made a vow. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 5 tells us be careful when you're making a vow. It says, it is better to not make a vow than to make one and not keep it. There's no place in Scripture, as I said before, that instructed him to make a vow or that told military leaders before you go to battle, make sure you make a vow. There's nothing. This was voluntary on the part of Jephthah. He simply decided, I'm going to make a vow. It was out of his insecurity. I believe it was out of his his own deep sense of woundedness and shame about his own past that caused him to feel like he had to do something more. But the Spirit of God was already on him but he makes an unnecessary vow and agreement with God. God heard it. F.B. Meyer, the great author, said it this way, there's no need to bribe God's help. As Jephthah did by his rash promise, he will give gladly and freely out of his own heart of love to help and delivering the deliverance that we need if only our cause is just. He was trying to bribe God the same way he tried to bribe and negotiate with the elders of Gilead. The same way he tried to deal and negotiate and bargain with the Ammonites, now he tries to do with God. We need to watch our words, saints. We need to understand that in the same way that Jephthah was careless in the way he used words making this vow, you and I need to be also careful today. Proverbs 6.2 tells us that we can be snared by the words of our mouth. Proverbs also tells us that our words in our tongue is the power of life and death. Proverbs 6.2, when it says we're snared by the words of our mouth, the word for snare just literally means a trap. In the Spanish Bible, it uses a word that depicts like a lasso, like a lasso that you would use to snare an animal, to capture an animal. That's the same word that's used in the Spanish rendering. The truth is that we can be snared by the words we speak. How many of you know that usually what gets us in trouble, the quickest, is something we say. How many of you have ever said something to someone, a friend or an acquaintance or somebody, a neighbor, somebody, you said something and 30 seconds after you said it, you went. But you can't get it back. Can't take it back. Nope. Our words, we need to pay attention to them. We need to be careful not to make rash commitments we can't keep and never make promises that we're not able to fulfill. Unfortunately, we live in a society today that does not follow that guidance. We live in a world today in which many leaders, public leaders and, and entertainers and famous people and uh, politicians and government leaders and business leaders in the marketplace, and the public place, make promises like it was just carefree. Never, many times, never intending to keep them. What's happened to the moral fabric of a nation where you can't trust someone's word you can't trust a commitment these days i remember the days i'm i'm old enough to remember when you could actually make an agreement with someone and shake their hand and count on it i don't recommend it now you better have a contract you better have a contract written down why because this principle is not followed um I thought it might be helpful i'll just tell you three answers i wrote down i I wrote down the question why why are our words so important number one because words are very powerful as i said death and life are in the power of the tongue james chapter 3 tells us that that your tongue can set something on fire or it can be productive all depending on how you use it our words are powerful number two the answer is because you can't take them back once you've said it it's done You've already wounded someone. You've already made that promise. You can't take back the words. There's no taking them back. You can be sorry for the hurtful words you speak, but when it's done, it's done. The third reason is because God will hold you accountable for every word you speak. Matthew chapter 12 tells us, one day we're going to have to give an account for every word we speak. Good words, bad words, neutral words, all the words. That's going to be some... Video review, isn't it? Holy cow. I think the best answer is that we ask the Holy Spirit to help teach us how to watch our mouths and learn not to make rash verbal commitments. So we see Jephthah here, not as an example of faith in my view right here, but we see him as a careless leader. Let's go to the last lens. Might as well end this on controversy. <laughs> Jephthah, we need to see also as what I would call an ignorant father. Remember what I said? He's the father of one daughter, single. Most historians believe probably a teenager because that was the marrying age in those days. And... Um, We read in Judges chapter 11, and I'll just read verses 34 through 39, and this is, you know, tragic stuff, but I'll see if I can unpack it for you in a second. When Jephthah returned to his home in Mizpah, who should come out to meet him but his daughter, dancing to the sound of timbrels? She was an only child. Except for her, he had neither son nor daughter. When he saw her, he tore his clothes and he cried, Oh no, my daughter, you have brought me down and I am now devastated because I have made a vow to the Lord that I cannot break. Verse 36, my father, she replied, you've given your word to the Lord. Do to me just as you've promised Now that the Lord has avenged you of your enemies, the Ammonites. This is quite a godly girl. I'm impressed with her. We don't have much more about her, but I'm impressed. But grant me one request. She said, give me two months. So before this dedication takes place, give me two months to roam the hills and to weep with my friends because I will never marry. He said, you may go, and he let her go for two months. She and her friends, she went into the hills, and they wept and grieved because she would never marry. After the two months, she returned to her father, and he did to her as he had vowed. And she was a virgin. Okay, so here we find Jephthah returning to Mizpah's home. News of the victory had already spread like wildfire. The daughter already knew it was time to celebrate. When his delighted daughter heard that his father was outside, she couldn't wait. She ran out, and she was the first to go out of the door. I suspect he had forgotten by this point. He was caught up in the victory, caught up in the moment, forgot about the vow. But the moment he saw her, It all came back. He broke. And he said, oh, you brought me down. I'm devastated. In other words, he wasn't blaming her, but he was just feeling crushed because of the weight of knowing the implications of the vow that he had made. He is clearly a brokenhearted father. His daughter, quite submissive. And likely uh, just godly in the way she responded. So here's the problem we have. We have a dilemma. The Bible expressly speaks against human sacrifice. Yeah. Very clear. Yeah. The way that these verses at the end of chapter 11 are constructed in the Hebrew language causes possible confusion in fact the more you study it and I spent a a long time digging to try to decide what I believe about how this ended up I'm like this is these are the weeks where I say who said I should teach on judges who was that (laughs) there the more you dig the more puzzling it becomes because there's some people believe that he did exactly that that he burned her as a sacrifice But the scripture never says that. The scripture never says that he actually killed her and offered her as a burnt sacrifice. There are others who have different variations and they have good arguments. So you're left with this decision. What do you think? So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to escape this little uh, dilemma by telling you what Warren Wiersbe says. (laughs) And I have chosen to agree with him. All right, so let me see if I can read to you what he says. Uh, He says, the more I ponder these questions, the more perplexing this vow becomes. And the more convinced I am that Jephthah didn't promise to offer any human sacrifice to the Lord. And he did not kill his own daughter. He goes on to say, he explains this linguistic approach. And he says, if we take this approach, then the vow that he made was twofold he was saying whatever met him when he returned home would be dedicated to the Lord. If it was a person. Or if it was happened to be an animal, it would qualify to be offered as a burnt sacrifice to the Lord. Since he was met by his daughter, Jephthah gave her to the Lord to serve him in the tabernacle. In other words, he... symbolically put her on the altar and said, you have to serve the Lord, go into the tabernacle, serve in the tabernacle the rest of your life. You could never marry. You could never have children. By doing that, it's interesting too, the reason she weeps and grieves, the scripture says the reason isn't because she was thinking, my life's over, I'm going to be gone, but she's weeping because why? Because she wasn't going to be able to have children. I know that seems like maybe a minor thing to you, but it was a big deal to her. It was a big deal to Jephthah. She was the only one that could carry potentially carry his, his lineage. Now it's done. It's over. It won't happen. So uh, many scholars believe that this is actually what it was, that he then dedicated her uh, to be single the rest of her life, and to go and serve the Lord. It was a loss. Uh, It wasn't the same as burning her on the altar, but the story does end with sadness. Now, we have looked at Jephthah with lenses, and uh, I hope that you can find your way, as I have, to marking certain points in his life that were examples of faith, that he did certain things in faith. In fact, if you want to be real about it, the very fact that he kept the vow speaks of a faith-based character. He could have simply said, the heck with a vow, who cares? But out of his faith towards God, he wanted to honor the vow. By this point, he realized, I've already made the commitment. How many of you have ever made a commitment and then you realize you're in trouble, but you went ahead and kept it anyway because of your integrity? Hopefully some of you can relate to that. Here we have a man who out of his faith to be used by God, he had faith to be used by God, he had faith uh, to, to be used in a military sense, faith that helped him to some degree to overcome his past, and now to deal appropriately in a very uncomfortable compromising situation with his only daughter. Would you stand with me? I hope that today you can pick up some lessons. We can learn to be honoring of God in so many ways in this story. We can also learn that God's looking for people that he can choose. He's looking for people who are available. And when you're available, he will appoint you and he will anoint you. It should cause us today to be grateful and thankful for the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and grateful that we don't have to deal with the Spirit of God being in temporary empowerment, but we can live knowing He's with us, He's upon us, and we can do great exploits for Him. I'm going to pray for you. Then Brent's going to come and release us with a blessing. I'm going to ask that the prayer teams would come forward as I pray. Lord Jesus, I pray today for every person who is watching online and those that are here in our campus, that we would grasp and learn the lessons from your word. Lord, you didn't speak any word. There is no word in the scripture that is fruitless. It all has purpose. We pray that today, let us even ponder the weightiness of the story of Jephthah. And yet, Lord, let us learn to walk in faith as he did. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Brent. Would you look up at me as I bless you? The book of Romans says, Romans 14 says, that the kingdom of God is righteousness, joy, and peace. So I bless you today with the righteousness of Christ, covered in His blood, and dwelled by his Spirit, empowered by His Spirit to be who God's called you to be, to walk out as God called you about, salt and light, in every place you go. I bless you with the joy of the Lord. Scripture says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Yes. I bless you with the peace of God. May the peace of God that passes all understanding may it be a guard about your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Want you to know today you are the favorite of God. You are the blessed of God. He blesses your going in. He blesses your coming, uh, going out. And your coming in. Have a wonderful Sunday. God bless you.